Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Running the 615. This is your host, Drew Jones. Today, you are listening to episode 10. Our guest is Chris Duncan. Chris is co-owner of Superior Custom Homes and Remodeling here in Nashville, Tennessee. Chris is married to his wife, Chantel, of 16 years, and they have four beautiful daughters. In his running career, Chris has accomplished a lot. He's easily the fastest runner we've ever had join us here on Running the 615. Here are a list of a few of his running highlights. In high school, he won eight state titles in track and cross country. In college at the University of Florida, where he eventually landed, he was a six-time All-American. And he also ran a three-minute, 59-second mile in one of his college meets. That's right, a sub-four-minute miler. After college, Chris ran as a professional runner for Power Bar. His personal record for the marathon is two hours and 33 minutes. His personal record for the half marathon is one hour and 11 minutes. That's right. Chris is super, super fast. Chris is also a really, really great guy, and I've known him for 10 years, and there has never been one time that I've seen him that he was not smiling and super happy to be alive. He's without a doubt one of my favorite people here in Nashville, a guy that I'm always super excited to see whenever our paths cross. Like many other guests on this podcast, Chris has great insight and running on running and living life to the fullest. I love sitting down and talking with Chris. I'm quite sure you will enjoy listening to his story as well. Thanks very much, as always, for listening to this podcast. Here we go. A man they once called White Lightning, Chris Duncan. Chris, thanks for being here, man. What a cool atmosphere this is. The studio of running the 615 has a bit of a, a buzz to it. It does. It yeah. does. Let's start at the beginning, if that's okay. Sure. Just, just let's start with how running became a part of your life. Like, what was it that got you started into it? How old were you? And then, just like, what was the, the first couple of days of, of running for Chris Duncan like? Well, I started my, I believe, my seventh grade year of PE. We were told to uh, throw a tennis ball as far as you can throw it, do as many sit-ups as you can possibly sit up, do push-ups. And then at the very end of it, we were all told to go run a mile. I thought, well, this is dumb. But at the same point, I was just doing what everybody else in the class was doing. And before you know it, I was not only in first place, but I was running with a, a girl that was a senior that was out there uh, helping. And uh, last but not least, uh, she just said, you're doing a great job. I just felt, well, this is pretty easy. Then that weekend, I went to uh, Sedona with some friends. I ended up running through the trails of Sedona, and I, I left my friends. And the, before you knew it, I just felt, man, this is the best feeling. The air was like perfect. And I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Arizona, Drew, but there's a part in Sedona where it's very artistic, and you can hear literally the, the birds, and you might even hear a couple of rattlesnakes. I mean, just little all the atmosphere of uh, right. Sedona. It was really cool. So you're seventh grade, you're in Arizona, which is which is a hot place to be. How long had you lived in Arizona by the time you're in junior high? Like, you, Did you grow up there? No, I grew part? up in California. Okay. But that part, uh, at that time, I think I was there for maybe two months. Okay. And that's when I fell in love with running. New to the area, just starting off in junior high. And you could, you, you remember the first time you ran a feeling of like, man, like this, not only is this something that I feel is something that's coming easy to me or like naturally, but also this is really fun. 
Absolutely. And yeah. uh, having a girl who's a senior in high school, you're looking at her and she's like, wow, she's beautiful. But yet she's telling me that I'm doing a great job. Right. So already I'm feeling confident. And then the, that same weekend going to Sedona and seeing this, these awesome, amazing, like red trails and literally the, the mountains peeking up through uh, uh, what they call the, I guess it's uh, like red rock is oh, yeah. what they call it. Right. I apologize. Uh, but anyways, all that being said, uh, just everything around the cactus, the birds, I sincerely, I remember a rattlesnake. I remember hearing that. Yeah. The so, whole scene, but like it, it was, was just perfect. something. Yeah. So, well, that's, I mean, man, well, first of all, that's super neat. I, I think you you and I are around a lot of runners. I mean, I've known you for, for quite some time now, and we're, I feel like, kind of in the running community more than we're not. I think most people, when they talk about their running career, have, you know, it's not something that they necessarily pick up on early that they, that they enjoy. It's something that comes the more they do it. But the fact that you, like, literally – kind of memory one from running is like, yeah, man, like I, I really like this feeling. That's, that's good. I mean, well, and it's not surprising too, because you're, you're, you may be the most successful runner I know as far as what you've accomplished, which we're going to get to, but tell Thank me a little you. bit. Thank you. That's super cool, man. Tell me about going from like junior high and just like catching this running bug to where you actually were on a team competing in races. Like what was that kind of time gap between that first seventh grade experience to like actually running in races and, and, you know, dedicating a pretty decent amount of time from your childhood to it. Not a problem. So I think it was my eighth grade year when uh, the track coach recognized that I had talent and he was in high school. He was a high school track coach. He mentioned to me that when I became a high school freshman that I needed to come out for his track team. And at that point, I didn't really hit home to me what that really meant because I didn't know anything about a track team. I just knew that I liked playing basketball. Right. And uh, from that point, I just enjoyed just the atmosphere of uh, the kids just playing basketball, running up and down the court. But it came so natural for me to be super fast in the court. And it came natural for me, for example, running when we had to do that time trial for the mile. It came natural for me just doing anything when we had to do, I don't know if you're familiar, Drew, but there's a lot of things where in basketball, they say, we're going to run lines. Oh, for sure. I actually enjoyed it. Like, yeah. okay, doing I'm going to go. Suicides, you're exactly. Like, you it. touch every line, yeah. you get up, you get down. I mean, I was always the first one. Yeah. So that's cool. It's actually our friend, Christy Beth, when she talked about playing basketball, she said she was a terrible basketball player, but that the entire team, you know, when they'd have somebody shoot a free throw, if you made it, practice was over. And if you missed it, the team had to run. Yeah, she yes. was the only one that when they were missed it, she was like, yes, like she, because she like the running part was the, was the part that she enjoyed the most. So you're playing basketball. Running is at least something that you are starting to dabble in a little bit as you're getting into the eighth grade. And then this high school coach is like, Hey, once you get here tracks definitely something you want to do what's the first like high school part where you were running on the team where like you felt like the you know the right distance was making sense to you or like picking your your kind of spots with running or were you or were you more like man whatever you want me to run I'll do it I'm in I was the latter part yeah. I, whatever you say coach I'm in and I I was one of those athletes that if my coach said I need you to run through that wall today I would say Sure thing, coach. What do I do afterwards? Right. Because you don't question and you don't, you don't even ask details. You just do what he says. Yeah. So I was just that guy. And the same thing with my basketball coach. So basketball was first and then it was track for the out, outdoor season. 
my basketball coach said to me, one of the, the major things that he appreciated about me was not only that I was fast and wiry and skinny, but the fact that I was coachable right. and the facts that I just listened to him. I was one of the only kids on the team that didn't complain. Right. Whereas a lot of my friends and you know teammates, they would, oh, again, we're going to do this. Right. And so when my coach on the track team said, hey, Chris, I'm going to have you run a lap today. Okay. Sounds good, coach. And from that point, it turned into today we're going to run the straights and jog the curves or today we're going to jog the curves, run the straights. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me, but he found his way. He found his, I guess, his role for me, which was ultimately the distance events. Right. And the distance for me was always either a 400, an 800 or a mile. That, Ideally, became, that became your wheelhouse. Those, yes. Those, yeah. Ideally, I like that the mile because mm-hmm. the 400, I felt like I was sprinting the whole time and I can, I wasn't always the best when it came to competition with other schools and people down in the Valley in Phoenix. Right. As far as just all out speed for all out speed. Right. Yeah. But when it came to the 800, I liked it a little bit more because yes, there was still sprinting involved, but I can pace myself for sure. But then when it came to the mile, oh man, that was my love. Yeah. So out of those three, you running all of them for a long part of your life and running in some big races, those distance, which one, which of those three hurts the most one I'd lap, two laps or four laps? I would say the 800 hurts the most. Okay. Cause that's, that's you, actually what I've heard before is that the 800 it is possibly the most painful running event you can run in track because it's, it's long enough that it, that you, you can't not feel the hurt. Absolutely. I right. totally agreed. Okay. But I also found that sometimes if you ran the mile correctly, that also hurts. It does. So well, we're gonna we're gonna get to one of your your mile accomplishments in college. But can you remember back to when you're in high school and recognizing? Of course, you had that first memory of running and enjoying it, and that the the high school senior girl that's like, "Hey, you're good at this." I mean, that would want to make me do anything. If someone said <laughs> yes. that. I totally yes. get that angle. But do you rec- Do you remember? early on when you were actually competing against other kids, also recognizing it then like, Hey, this is something I am, I'm good at because you know, I'm, I'm competing with these other kids doing the same thing. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember as a kid always thinking that just shut your mouth. Don't, don't, don't brag, be humble. And literally to the point where you show up at the start line and, and there was always a, a kid that was jumping around and like hitting his knees in the air or stretching dramatically or making some big obscene scene where you're like, I just want to beat that kid. I don't right. care what I do. I just want to beat that kid. Um, <laughs> I don't know what this race is. I don't, I don't even know what, what it I is, know, but that kid's I know, annoying. I know who I'm going for. That's right. Yeah. Or anytime the, the race starts, he's Woo, oh, ho- hollering and doing something silly. It's just like to the point where, all right, this is a distance event. Like you don't need to be doing anything like that. Right. Whatever you're doing, I'm not going to do, but then when it comes to the race, you're going down. Yeah. So. Well, that's well, that's good that it that it motivated you. You talking about being really coachable reminded me of literally my favorite scene in Forrest Gump is when he enters the army and the drill sergeant like thinks that Forrest Gump is the greatest soldier ever, and he's like, "Hey, why did you put that gun together so quickly?" He's like, "Because you told me to." He's that's like, right. Yeah. He's yeah, like, yes. "That is the greatest answer ever." So that's you on the track team. Coach is like, "Here's the distance. Here's what we're doing." You're like, "Yep, in done." Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome, man. That's uh, ideal. It would not only were you coachable, but I'm sure your coaches just really appreciated your effort and you know 
Maybe I was a little dumb, though. Maybe because I didn't really think about it. Who knows? I don't well, that's know. That's all right, man. Yeah, I mean, well, it may, yeah. No, it's, I think, <laughs> I think, it, I think it's that you're a coachable, likable guy. So we'll, we'll just jump forward a little bit. I mean, I know you won eight state titles in high school. That's correct. Over eight um, state titles. Tell me, tell me which ones you won and like how those kind of came to be. Because you also, in the middle of your high school career, you didn't start off doing track and cross country. It was just track and basketball and then cross country was added in. Is that's that right? correct. Yeah. So I started off running, playing basketball and track. Basketball was really my love, but uh, I wasn't able to do all the amazing things like I was in track. Right. So everybody knew me on the basketball floor saying, oh, that's that really fast runner. Right. But he can't shoot or he can't do that. <laughs> what Which, were you? Were you a shooting guard? Number two? I was actually a point guard, believe oh, it or not. Oh, nice. So I was one of your only six foot two point guards out on the floor and right. imagine myself going against somebody who's like five foot three that can dribble the ball unreal right, right. but eight st- titles and it ranged from the two mile the 800 the mile and the four by eight gotcha but on top of that i also uh, had an opportunity to win my ninth title and that was during cross country so my right. junior year in high school my high school coach said we don't have cross country but I talked to the school and I've also talked to the, the our area and they're going to allow us to have a cross country team, but we need a minimum of five, of five kids. Gotcha. So literally I didn't know what it meant until he explained all the details and what even cross country was. Right. I actually petitioned at the school and had a sign up that I was passing around. Come join the cross country team. You're going to run with me and nobody wanted to do it. So. Yeah. Ultimately, did you go, were you a big high school or a smaller high school? Small, small. Oh, right. Yeah. My graduating class was 88 students. So yeah, small for sure. Yeah. And it was a small town called Camp Verde. Right. So ironically, this cross country team was formed and it was uh, very small. We had a total of seven kids. It was three boys and four girls. Made up the first ever Camp Verde cross country team your junior year. Correct. And that is, so So then your junior, senior year, did you go cross country basketball track? That is correct. Okay, right, and yeah. uh, my first year in cross country, the year it was ever formed for our school, I had not only won the state title, but I set the state record. Wow. Which in was pretty, Arizona. In and Arizona. Was, was it 5K on uh, the ground? No, it was actually three miles. So okay. at, at that point, it was a three mile race. Gotcha. So I, I set the state record course. I had a chance to go back to my senior year and defend my title. I don't know if it, it's as humorous to you, but to me, this was pretty good. Yeah. I was the type of runner that at one point when I started winning all my races, I thought I was untouchable, but I didn't let anybody know that. Right. But I would always you look felt out. It. I yeah. felt it. Right. But I always look out towards my competition and my coach would always say, Duncan, what are you so worried about? Just run your race. Right. And so there was a bus that pulled up and I never had seen it before. And on the front of the bus, it said charter. And I'm like, coach coach, who's charter high school? What, what high school? I've never heard of it. And he's like, you're the dumbest, dumb, dumb runner I've ever met. Just run. So anyways, ironically, I run this race at this point at the state race, you would assume that it was the same course, which I thought it was the same course, but they switched it. Right. I ended up going the wrong direction for a portion of the race. I should have been disqualified. However, they got me back on the point of where I left the, the race. Mm-hmm. And I had to get back on that same area in order to not get disqualified. Right. I was so upset. So sad. So you just like, you were leading the race and made a wrong turn. Correct. Went, went somewhere that was not the race. Someone let you know about it, brought you back to where, and you got to finish the race. And then what, what place did you get? I finished second. Wow. 
as a runner up, the state official and the state team, they were all laughing and I didn't know what they're laughing. And here I was kind of like pouting right? because it was my senior year and I wanted to end the note of being sure. yet again, another state champion. Yeah. Ironically, the state official said, and in second place, beating out even charter high school was your very own last year's champion, Chris Duncan. And all the coaches were laughing. Nobody else was really laughing because they didn't know the background of it. Right. It really didn't hit home to me until after I came back to sit back at the table and I sat by my coach and he's like, did you catch that? And I was like, catch what? That you beat Charter High School? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, coach, where's that from? What school? Like, where are they at? He said, you're so dumb. It's not a high school. It's, it's not a charter bus. It was a charter bus. <laughs> The rivalry of Camp Verde versus Charter High School you began got that you day. You got it. Well, to still finish second, though, I mean, that may, probably made it sting a little bit more that, like, you know, you, you knew if you wouldn't have left course that it would have it would have worked out. But, yeah, so then your your state titles in track, you still got to run track after that, right? And you, so And you won some state titles as a senior on Correct. track, right? There was the first year that uh, I was undefeated in the mile. To me, that said a lot about me and my, I don't know, my stock per se to go to the next level for sure. Knowing that I was undefeated. Yeah. So you, and that's, well, that's, I mean, a a massively successful high school career. And now, you know, running is something you're going to do. When did you decide, or was it maybe decided for you when you, did you just, were you ever thinking college basketball was a possibility or by the time you were choosing where you're going to college, was it, was it going to be running? I wanted college basketball. I was honorable mention for defensive player of the year. They selected an all-state team. And so they chose 10 players, but only five were first team. These next five were the second team. Right. And I was on the second team for being defensive player of the year for the state. And I, I thought I had an opportunity to go to the next level. Right. I got junior colleges that gave me little scholarships here and there. But unfortunately, because I grew up the way I did, I didn't have the means to go to the next step. Right. And my only ticket way out was through scholarship. Right. Track was ultimately uh, in cross country. I received full ride scholarships to a few colleges, Mm -hmm. but it was rare. Uh, I thought everybody was going to pay for my college. It's not like that. Right. So some of the, yeah, especially some of the smaller sports, you got to find ways to get creative with it. So uh, because I know you and, and we've talked about this, you ended up going from Arizona to Florida, not University of Florida, although that's part of the story, but you had a first couple stints in some different colleges before you ended up and where you finally landed. Tell me your kind of college story and where you just, you know, where you were and how you got there. Well, my coach told me a lot in high school. He, he uh, mentioned to me, Chris, you need to go and actually look at all the colleges. You want to meet with all the coaches and you want to introduce yourself to all the team members and really find out the school for you. At that point, I was given four official visits and two unofficial visits for a total of six visits. I went to every one of them, but they were all in-state. There was one at, uh, at that point, University of Arkansas. Well, that's a track powerhouse, right? At They're, the point, at that time, it yeah. was. Mm-hmm. And then also the in-state schools, which was Arizona State and University of Arizona, and then Northern Arizona University. Right. Obviously, I went to all the in-state ones, and I just didn't feel right, only because a lot of my competition was going there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be different. Anyways, all the places in-state were offering me, not full ride, but they were offering me basically about 75% scholarship. Yeah. And uh, they said with my in-state tuition, it wouldn't be that much. Unfortunately, I still didn't have that to, to cover it. Right. 
ironically, I received several full ride scholarships from smaller schools. Mm-hmm. And at the time, University of Central Florida was just being formed at that time. They were the, like actually as university or like as a track team? As a track team. Right, right. They reached out to me and said, hey, we've seen your uh, times. We know about you and uh, we want to offer you a full ride scholarship. So I thought they had uh, a full track team, but they didn't. They only had a cross country team. Okay. Where is, where is UCF? What city? It's in Orlando. Okay, gotcha. Right in the middle of the state, just like it says, Central yep. Florida. Go figure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> true that. Yes. And ironically for me, I wanted to be close to my adopted father. And so he lived in Orlando. Okay, well, there you go. So that's I chose a, a connection. Yeah. UCF without even visiting the school. Right. I just had phone calls with them. And I had phone calls to other places that offered me full-ride scholarship. But when I heard that uh, it was this big college and it was in Orlando and all these other things. I just thought, man, I need to, I need to do it. Yeah. This makes sense. Without even visiting it. I showed up next thing I know, I agreed to it, showed up for practice and I was by far the fastest runner. Mm -hmm. My transcripts didn't transfer. I don't even understand how it all worked, but it's called the NCAA clearing house. You have to be able to be cleared in order to run in the NCAA. Right. Unfortunately, I didn't get to run. They said I was going to have to sit out a year. So I was depressed. Transcript related, just whatever didn't. My education from right. Camp Verde High School to UCF. Gotcha. And so at that point, a little bit depressing, I ran as what they call an unattached runner. And there was an intercollegiate race through all the Florida schools. So you had University of Florida, Florida State, University of Miami, Florida Atlantic, you name it, USF, which is University of South Florida. Uh, right. They had all these schools there. And there was also some outliner schools like Georgia Tech was there and a few others. Right. So I was a true freshman. I ran this race, an intercollegiate race. And out of all of the people there as a true freshman, I, I finished in the top 10. Nobody had heard of me at that point. Right. I came out of the high school as an All-American, and I would have thought everybody heard about me. Sure. But really, when you're a kid from out west, people from out east don't really look at you. Gotcha. That's the way I understood it. Mm-hmm. Because out of high school, I ran a 412 mile out of high school. Wow. Uh, but you would think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I remember there was several other kids that were between four flat and 405. Right. So still work to be done. Still work to be done. Right. So coming out of the high school with a 412, you, I felt pretty amazing, but I was just a really a big fish in a, if you will, with my hometown and a small pond to where I then became this small fish in this massive sea. Right. So anyways, in that race, the University of Florida coach, his name is Doug Brown. He uh, walked up and said, hey, great race. I noticed that your, your bib says unattached. Who do you run for? Right. And I shared with him that I'm running for University of Central Florida. And he, at that time, he says, why would you run with them? They don't even have a track team. You do not know that's a club sport. And it all hit right then and there. Right. I felt like I had made a mistake. Mm-hmm. He said uh, that if I ever decide that I would like to uh, go to a, a university that has a full team of track and it's a full team as cross country to give him a, an email or a call. And he gave me his card. Right. My world was like blown apart. Yeah. At that point, even though I had this full scholarship, I wanted to transfer. I right. wanted to get away. I felt deceived if you will. Gotcha. Yeah, man, that's that's interesting. So then you had to again because because of friends I know this, you had to go you weren't able to go straight from UCF to University of Florida, right? You went to a If gym. I did that, I'd have to sit out a 
a year. Okay, so in order to be able to just like keep running, you decided to go where? For- I went to the best junior college that I was aware of, right. which was Paradise Valley Community College, which is right in the heart of Phoenix. Okay, so you went back home to I did. Arizona for a bit? Okay. I did. Yeah. My coach at University of Florida, Doug Brown, he says that in order to transfer and not have to sit out and all these rules and regulations because my coach at UCF wouldn't release me. Mm-hmm. There's a thing that formed that they have to sign that says, I released this athlete. Gotcha. Because she wouldn't release me, I had to go from a NCAA to a smaller division or junior college, mm-hmm. and then from junior college back to the NCAA. Gotcha. And in order to do so, I had to have my AA degree. Mm-hmm. So I went from that first semester, I dropped out at the end of the semester, and in, and in one semester's time, I took 27 credits. Wow. And a full Space, load. That's, 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 like, that's like two semesters in one. That's exactly right. right. And it, they, they said it wouldn't be able to be done. At this point, I was willing to do anything and everything right. just to get to where I needed to be. Yeah. And then the summer, I also took an additional 15 credits in order to get my associates. Right. So then you get your associates. So then were you just at the JUCO for one year? And then I did. after that, you're at Florida. Yep. So I ran cross country for JUCO. And then I also ran track for JUCO. And then I ended up transferring. So when you get to Florida, then you're, as far as eligibility, are you considered a sophomore? I would be a, a true sophomore. Okay. Correct. So did you have a feeling of like, man, like I just kind of, between graduating high school and now being at this top university in Florida, it felt like you kind of had to go a little bit through the gauntlet just to get there. When you actually get there, you're a sophomore, you're at University of Florida, you're on the track team, you're getting ready to go. Did you already have a sense of like, man, like even though I went through kind of a storm to get here like this, I ended up in the right place. Like this is, this feels right to be here now. Absolutely. And not only that, but I felt like the work that I had put into my junior college of running cross country at the JUCO level against much older guys and also in track. And then my workload of the education wise, where I had to take all those credits. I mean, I I can recall literally being up until probably 10 or 11 o'clock at night, not partying and hanging out with my friends. Instead, I was doing all my homework and doing all my things that I had to do and then waking up the next morning to do all my long runs and then double practices. And it's to the point when I got to University of Florida, it was a breath of fresh air. It was right. the point where I no longer had to work hard per se, and I can take an uh, same load as everybody else right. with regards to education. And I yeah. can practice the same way everybody else did. Yeah. Man, that's cool. That I mean, I didn't. I, I I knew parts of that story, but I didn't know the full of it. That's that's, you know, from a former Division two college golfer. I assure you, my role was a bit uh, easier than that to just uh, go out and play play golf, with my buddies. But you know, what I do remember. So you're sitting across from probably one of the only redshirt sophomore golfers in the history of the sport. <laughs> we had nine golfers on the team that were um you know junior or senior so right before we were supposed to start our sophomore year coach called me and he's like hey how would you feel about redshirting this year and i wasn't quite sure what that meant and i asked him i was like yeah i was like well, so what would that entail he's like well you can practice with the team you can do everything he's like you just can't play in tournaments but we'll extend your scholarship another year so i knew one year into college that I was going to be there for five years. So when you talk about taking 27 credits, I took 12 a semester the entire way and still had more than I needed. So like 27 as compared to 12 sounds like a lot more. And I bet you, you had a great time. I would absolutely agree with that statement for (laughs) sure. I feel like, I feel like so much about me was made for college, but yeah. 
the glory days. Um, so let's talk. I want to I want to talk about Florida because I know you had some real successful, you know, runs in college, and then we'll we'll talk about where you went after that. But what were some of the you know kind of highlights of being a Division one runner at a at a big SEC school? Where is this? Is this like two thousand? This was. Uh, I actually got to University of Florida and uh, the tail end of, uh, or actually the early end of ninety eight. Okay, and I was there until oh one. Gotcha. It, Florida is amazing. To me, the school, the experience, everything. Great. Everything. Yeah. So right in being a sophomore, a true sophomore, I wanted to run the mile. That was my love. Mm-hmm. And my coach said two things. Number one, the mile is only in the indoor. At this point, I never even ran indoor. I didn't even know what indoor meant. Right. So I thought in, the mile was always outdoor. Sure. So he just said, number one, you're too tall. And number two, I want to make sure that you're set up to do something that I want to see you do in the future because of your height and because of your long legs. I want to introduce you to the steeplechase. Gotcha. So I was excited about all that, but I still tell, told him that I'm running the mile. Right. He says, why don't we do this? Don't, you're not get, taking away my dream right That's now. Right. Yeah, yeah. And my whole dream was as a young kid was to break the four minute mile. I told him I'm going to do it. Right. He didn't believe me. And at me. this time, it was 412 still your... Were you still 412? Was your fastest to date by then? At that point, yes. Because I didn't run it at junior college. Right. We ran the the 1500, not the mile. Right. So a little, little shy of the mile. So you're still sitting on 412, but you're like, that's, that's my goal in life. And I'm not going to let you take it from me right now. Coach. Correct. Right. Correct. I'll run your steeplechase. I'll, I'll, I'll dabble in that, but miles still in, in my, in my heart. That's right. And at that point I ran one one or two 1500s to go to Juco nationals. So I didn't have any correlations to what the difference was until I actually got to indoor. Right. So out of JUCO, I think I ran a 351, 1500. Mm-hmm. And then going into college, my coach was like, get it out of your brain. In fact, let's just do this. I'm going to let you do the indoor this, this year. And next year, you have to just trust me, do what I say. So it's the first time I ever kind of kicked back on a coach. Right. So I went with it. And so uh, he told me that I probably wouldn't qualify for indoor nationals and I probably wouldn't even get close to breaking the four minute mile. Mm-hmm. So, uh, challenge accepted. Challenge, coach. Let's do this, right? Yeah. He called me Dunk the Punk. And uh, so I went with it. So go ahead and do it. Well, early on, I started doing a lot of 400 and 800 meter reps. And I did that with uh, the current coach who's there now, which is Mike Holloway. We called him Mouse. Anyways, uh, I was doing reps with him and doing distance workouts with Coach Doug Brown. And before you know it, by the uh, qualifying standards, you had to be the top 16 in order to go to nationals. So the top 16, all Division One, would be selected to go to, to nationals. I made it in with a, a 404 low mileage. Indoor? Indoor. And so that's a 200-meter track. Well, some of them are 300, some of them are 400. Okay. But I ran a a 404 on the indoor track. Right. Ended up being top 16, selected to go to nationals. At that point, you had to run a prelim and then a final. And Mm -hmm. they would select usually the top eight or nine or 10 to go to the final. Mm -hmm. So I ran my heat and uh, ran like a 403, but it was a kicker's race. I think the last 400 was probably something stupid where we had to drop like, I don't know, like somewhere in the 50s in order to, to make the final. Right. Top two are automatic. I just remember that last two laps, which was, would have been about a 400-meter race, I ended up making the final. It was unreal to, to prove to my coach as what he called dunk the punk from being this tall, skinny, white kid 
to basically making not only the nationals, but then also making the nationals final. So you did, you went from top 16 to top nine, top eight. Correct. Right. And then uh, racing in the finals as a true sophomore, I was the only true sophomore in the race. Everybody else is either junior or senior in the final. And I ended up placing eighth and uh, received my first All-American award. Wow. So, which was pretty awesome to me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember racing with these guys that are junior and senior, and they're always, you know, winning their races. And some of them, I didn't understand what they said. It's stuff like, no, no. That I, and I don't even know what that means other right. than they're probably number one. Right. So... <laughs> You were, you were in a new world, in Absolutely. a new place. But I'm pretty sure after that race in the finals, your coach was okay with you running the mile going forward? Absolutely. He, and it turned, my nickname turned from Dunk the Punk to White Lightning. There you go. I thought it was hilarious at first, but then it got to be the point where I, I didn't want to be called that because I, I still was, I had that feeling of being humble, always be humble. Right. So, but it turned from that to my outdoor, he uh, introduced me to... Uh, 5,000 meters, and then also the 3,000 meters, which I really wasn't a fan of. Mm-hmm. The 3,000? The 3,000. Right. So uh, I ran the steeplechase, and that's when I was first introduced to it. Yeah. And steeplechase is, you got, is a little bit of creativity, right? I've it got is. several coworkers that ran a steeplechase that they talk about it. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's just not you know, running most people associate this, even though if you're doing it highly competitively, like in college and, and even professionally is, is just running, you know, and who can do it the fastest, but steeplechase, you're, you're mixing in a lot of different things and there's some strategy involved, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and what it is, it's seven and a half laps mm-hmm. and then there's 35 barriers and seven of those barriers are water pits. Right. So think about that. It's 3,000 meters, which is 200 meters short of two miles. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine running two two miles over barriers and then trying to be, do this in a, an even pace, is which is ideal. Right. And when you when you run over the barriers, you are supposed to like actually step on the barrier, unlike hurdles, right? You're so, hurdles, obviously, you just go over it. But the barrier, you do want to hit and push off of, correct? Sometimes. But for usually people that are a little bit taller, mm-hmm. you'll kind of place it on the, on the barrier to use it as a, a balance, if you will. And definitely on the water pit, you use it to push off. Gotcha. Right. So for me, I, I stepped on about 90% of them. Gotcha. And when you're tired, you got to think about this. If you run a 420 back to back, so a 420 mile with a 420 mile, you, essentially that's like an 842 mile, right? right. Mm-hmm. If you're running at that pace, eventually you're going to have to start stepping on them. Mm-hmm. So Unless you want to end up entirely in the water pit. That, not that's just, right. Not just kneecaps and below. That's right. So what, looking back on it now, I mean, you know, I know you also had another thing in college that, I, that I'd like you to talk about, but, and you, that's maybe the answer, but what do you feel like was just like your college highlight with once you are, you know, you're at Florida, took you kind of a roundabout way to get there, but had success kind of out of the gates as a sophomore, getting to run the race. That's kind of your favorite. When you look back on it, like what ended up being just like, man, like this is, these are, these are my top memories from being a collegiate runner. For me, it was, uh, obviously the mile, right? right. That's number one for me. Mm-hmm. And your, and your fastest mile time is what? It's a 359. Yes. And so with the 359, I did that officially in what we call a distance medley relay. Right. You were part of an anchor on a particular relay race, but your part was to run the mile. Correct. Right. And ironically, there would be some nationals where I made it in the open mile, but I also made it for the DMR. Oh, wow. Which is also run in the same night. So the prelim is always run early mm-hmm. and then the DMR is run the night right. and then you actually do the final the next day or the 
two days later. So you're potentially racing three miles in the same 24 hour window. If Sometimes. You take the night absolutely. The wow. That's a lot. So, so you ran, so that's, you know, I knew we were going to get there, but there are few people who have ever taken a breath on this earth that have run a sub four minute mile. Like that is like the coolest thing ever that you did that. Did you feel it coming? Like, did you feel like it was in your wheelhouse before that race? And you were like, I think I can do this. Or was there some degree of, uh, d- of surprise when it actually happened that you're like, wow, like that actually just happened. I was prepared. My coach got me prepared year after year, but ultimately there was many times I ran in the same year, like 401, 402, 401, 402, 402, 403. It was frustrating right? because I did everything he preached about consistency. Mm-hmm. So we would practice doing 60 second laps for like as many as you possibly can until you die out. Mm-hmm. So I was prepared to do this. My fastest open race was a four flat. Right. I never officially broke it individually in the open, but on the DMR, which is the, again, the distance men to the relay, my official split was 359. Yeah. And ironically, I did this against uh, some amazing people. So at the national race one year, I forego my open entry into the open mile. And instead my coach said, it's going to be fast this year. I can attest to you that they're going to go for the collegiate record. Mm-hmm. We had some amazing runners, Gabe Jennings, Sharif Karee, myself, and a couple others that were going to go for the collegiate record. Right. And they said, don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to help your team and, and try to win it? Right. And I just said, okay, I'm going to forego the prelims. I'm going to forego all open individual atmosphere and I'm going to go for it. Right. And so our team was put together. We put our fastest 400 meter runner, Gino White, who was a a 44 open meter runner. Mm -hmm. Imagine that like a guy like Michael Johnson, excuse me, running a 44. That's the equivalent of what he's doing. Right. We had Moses Joseph who can ultimately run a 1200 meter leg uh, in sub four minute pace. Right. Yeah. And then you have myself who is teetering on that four minute mark, if not below. Right. And then you also have, uh, at the time we had uh, an 800 meter runner and his name was Ali Abiola. Gotcha. So between the four of us, we were going up against the top competitors in the country. And this is for the four by four or this is for the, for the mile. This is for the DMR. Gotcha. Right. We get into the race. Oh, I get it. It's the DMR, which is one in your, your portion of this DMR is going to be the mile. That's correct. Gotcha. I was excited about it. And uh, I knew I was going to go up against Gabe Jennings, who was ultimately, he represented the United States for us and went on to be an Olympian. Right. And I know earlier that year in the same race where I ran a four flat, he had ran a 357 in the same race. Yikes. So I knew I was going to just go against him, which I was excited about. Mm-hmm. And ultimately there were some other guys in the race. Anyways, by the time I got the baton, we were in third place. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was excited about this. The miles the last. You're the, the miles you're, the last one. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were in Arkansas on a banked indoor 200 meter track. And I can recall the just the screaming, the yelling, and everybody going crazy. Gabe Jennings, when he used to run, people used to beat drums for him. Mm-hmm. I had that in the, in the background. I had uh, Sharif Curry from Arkansas and who was a sub four minute miler who was basically getting the pig suey where the crowd was yelling for him. Yeah. And then you had my teammates all yelling and screaming for me. And I also was to the point where I want to catch Gabe Jennings. 
So when you get the baton, you said you guys are in second or you're in third? We were in third. So, and you're behind those two runners that you just mentioned. That's, you're behind those two. They're already in front of you. They get the baton before you do. That's right. Gotcha. And the announcer at this point is yelling, folks, what you're seeing right now, they're on pace to break the college record, the college DMR record. This is it. The indoor college record. So I kept hearing record, record, record. Right. I was thrilled. I was excited that I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm a part of it. It's everything my coach told me was going to happen. It is happening. Right. And I remember my coach, before I got the baton, I leaned over the edge of the track and he says, you're going to do it. I don't know exactly what that meant, but I just knew that I was so pumped up. I was jazzed. I was ready. Yeah. I grabbed that baton from Abby Aliola and I started taking off and I'm probably about two meters, maybe back behind Sharif Curry. And uh, Gabe Jennings got it first. We came around and there's a big screen on that long side of the track. And every time you run by the long side of the track, I can see where I was at and I can see where my competitors were. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, fourth place was a good distance back. So it was just the three of you. Just the three of us. Right. So we ran that, uh, that eighth lap and I remember the bell lap going off. And somebody had said that he's running a 350 mile I was like, there's no way he's running a 350 mile. That, that came going through my head. I'm hearing 350 mile. But ironically, the only thing I kept listening to is you're going to do it. Right. So I followed right in behind Sharif Curry and uh, last lap to, to go, I went for it. I went to go pass him and we were battling for second back and forth, back and forth. So not only did we end up setting the collegiate record, but in that race, Stanford set the world record. So I was a part of a world record setting indoor DMR right? where Gabe Jennings soloed a 356 mile yeah. by himself. And I had just beaten out Sharif Karee for second place with the baton and ran officially a 359 split. Wow. It was the highlight of my career. And uh, that night, everybody was coming up to me, you beat Arkansas, you beat Arkansas. And we were going for the team title at that point. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, our points gathered to the point where we where it got more points than them. So for the first night, we were ahead of, of Arkansas, which went, at this point, Arkansas has won the state title or sorry, the national uh, title, national title, probably, I don't know, 20 some odd times in a row. Wow. So to be able to beat Arkansas is something very spectacular. Yeah. So Man. the next morning, USA Today, they actually highlighted the world record setting DMR and they talked a lot about Stanford because they set the world record. Mm-hmm. But also in the process, Arkansas and Florida set the collegiate record. Right. And there's a, were you in the photo in USA Today? No, it's actually Gabe Jennings in the photo. Gotcha. Yeah. But it was all talked about. And it, right. the fact that I saw my name on the anchor yeah. and I, that I'm in there, like, awesome. It was, for me, a highlight. Yeah. But every time that we ran a DMR, I received an All-American award because you just have to be the top eight teams. Right top eight individual if you're running an open event. So I received a, uh, an All-American award six times in college. And one eight of those- times, So you had nine state titles in high school, including the cross country? Eight. Eight. Eight, eight. eight time state titles in high school, six time All-American in college, University of Florida. And sounds like that. I mean, looking back on it, I, I have to think that you, you feel like, man, I made, I made the right decisions. I, I went to where uh, I was supposed to be. And uh, I mean- feel feel good about how that ended up 
Uh, for me, yes. And, yeah. it, and it wasn't about that. It was just a looking then my next step in life. Right. Because the last one I received All American in was uh, the 3000 meter steeplechase, where I ended up running an 838, which is essentially for me was the, the last highlight of my career. Right. Because of that race, I got set up to go to uh, run for Power Bar. As a professional runner. As a professional runner. Right. So how long were you a professional runner from what age to what age? I actually only did it for less than a, a season. Right. I didn't fare out well competing against guys that were really, truly about 30 seconds faster than me. Yeah. My fastest PR was an 838. Yes, I had a, a good 359 in the split for a DMR, a four minute in the open. But when you're racing against guys doing the steeplechase, at that point was guys like uh, let's see, the biggest one that I can probably tell you was Daniel Lincoln right. or Steve Slattery or Anthony Famigetti, which is a Tennessee native. Right. You got those guys all running in the low 815s for the steeplechase versus a guy like me running 838. I'm still coming around half the lap and they're finishing, if that makes any sense. So you, did you have trouble like accepting that or was it more like, like ah, no, like this is, it's too big a gap and, you know, I, my running career has been super, super successful, but I'm okay kind of acknowledging this is what it is. I, I was okay in acknowledging that was, I felt like I didn't have any more to give, if that right. makes sense. And me running an 838 steeplechase compared to a guy that can run 815, again, that's that's almost a full 100 meter uh, on the track. Right. And I'm nowhere compared. And in order to make it to the Olympic level, you had to be top three in your individual event or be an alternate, which is number four. Mm-hmm. I finished number nine that year. It was good and I made a little bit of money, but it wasn't going to be a career for me. Sure. Well, you are officially the first professional runner to sit in the running the 615 studio. I love that you that there's a smile on your face when you're talking about it. I know you super well, so you're kind of always smiling. I'm not surprised about that, but it is neat to hear that running has been just a really positive in your life and a plus and something that even when you kind of got to where you were as far as you were going to take it, that there wasn't a lot of necessarily heartbreak or sadness behind it. You're just like, no, I've, I've gotten out of this what I can. When you just think about the topic of running, I know you're still a runner now and that you still run on a regular basis. What is it about just running in general that you love the most in the part that just kind of feels like why you have done it as long as you have? Well, for me, it's a, first of all, it's a stress reliever, but not only that, but it's a way to find yourself of who you are. Right. I like the fact that it's, it's not you and this set of team. I mean, it kind of is if you're on a team track or team cross country, but running is really all about you and you can really find out how strong and how determined you are as a person. And you can find truly what motivates you when you're actually running, because that's when you find pain. Right. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, for me, running is all about goals, about determination and about really what, what gets me to the next step of my life. Right. And do you feel looking back on your life that you, that running has been a huge kind of component in the drive, the success you've had 
after being a competitive runner that there's still like some things you've learned about yourself through running that you apply to everyday life? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Because along the way of running, I found little tidbits of helpful tools to help me to be successful, such as setting goals. Yeah, I can tell you right now that the, the way that I found to set my personal goals was I learned at a running camp that you should always have your goals put in front of you. If you're not looking at your goals, you're not you know, achieving your goals. You're not striving for You're them. not striving for them. Right. I don't know how you did your goals, Drew, but for me, ultimately, uh, because I kind of lived in a lot of different homes, I actually took the lipstick from a lady that I used to live with, and she always wore way too much makeup to the point where secretly- She had lipstick to spare for you oh, to use yeah, to, to, to write something with. Yeah. I called her the clown in my head, never out loud. Sure. But I took her lipstick. I always took her best lipstick, the one that she just bought, right? Right. On a daily basis, I would take her lipsticks and I would put it on my mirror, my three goals. And Three school. goals of the day or just three goals that you were pushing for at that time? The three goals that I pushed for that time. Gotcha. And ultimately, those three goals is what I'd see on a regular basis. And sometimes when she went to go put on her makeup, I always heard something in the background blah, 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 which is filled of cuss words and crazy yelling. Expletives. Absolutely. And it, it, it allowed me to say, oh, she's cussing at me. I better go look at my goals because I knew that if I was to follow those goals, I was getting out. Right. So that was my, that was my way of my ticket. So my challenge is not just to you, but to everybody is always look at your goals, always have goals in front of you, whether it's a personal goal for your, you know, your, whether it's religious, whether it's a goal for you, for your eating habits, whatever it might be. I mean, always have a goal. And strive for them. Absolutely. I mean, for right now, I have a goal. If I can take two donuts at once, I mean, donuts are amazing, Drew. And that's Love why, I that's why I we run, I don't know why right? people say they're bad for you. I've never had a donut that I really didn't enjoy, in all honesty. <laughs> you, you, so your goal is to be able to eat two donuts at the same time? It's not a joke. There was a, a time in, uh, when I was married early on with uh, my wife of 16 years that I had a goal of how many Frosted Flakes I can pile up onto my bowl without it pouring over when I can actually pour the milk. Because when you pour the milk on, that's when the Frosted Flakes spill over, right? Right. Or when you have to put the spoon in. So yep. the, the rule was you just put the spoon in first, then fill up the Frosted Flakes. And then when you pour the milk on, get it barely and then just make sure you don't spill a frosted flake. But if you, you spilled, you're out. That's the, that's Qu- disqualified. You're disqualified. Yeah. But who am I competing against? It was just me against <laughs> me, right? But now it's for me, it's the donuts. Yeah. I literally am trying to see if I can't get a full on full like donut. And I don't know about you, but Krispy Kreme is one of my favorites. I celebrate their entire catalog. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But one of their full standard glazed donut. Can you get one? And I have a small mouth, but can same. you get one donut in your mouth? Same, yeah, I'd have to really practice. I mean, let's do it together. I challenge yeah. you. Challenge. Done. That is a great goal. So many people like, I mean, it's it's January. A lot of people have New Year's resolutions. That is one I can get behind for sure. Well, There's some excitement to that. It's it's the point of like, okay, everybody has these goals that are they're crazy. Like, let's go do this. Let's go do that. My goals are simple because I want them to be achievable. Right. Because if you achieve these small goals, that's when you think in your head you're confident enough to achieve the big goals. Mm-hmm. So for me, yes, I have big goals and yes, I have big dreams, but add some small little goals. Right. Well, and that's, I mean, I've, I've, you know, talked to friends in the past about running and like just, you know, the mental aspect of it. But I do feel like when you run on a regular basis and I, I mean, good night to say that I'm not as talented of runner as you is the biggest understatement ever. 
But when I when I run, almost every time I've ever run in my life, even times when I'm feeling good, there is at least a small voice in my head that is like, slow down, stop, this isn't fun, I don't want to do this. And if you fight that voice on a regular basis, if you're running four or five days a week, whatever, and you're always fighting that voice and you overcome it every time, like when you get these little victories, like you're saying, like over time, I mean, that that builds confidence. And that's to me what running has just been super positive and helpful. And in my life, I don't think I've ever really acknowledged it. Like while I'm running that I've got this voice in my head, but then when I'm done with running, I'm like, yeah, man, there was definitely some times on that run that wasn't feeling it, but got through it. And, you know, lo and behold, here you go. I totally agree. Consistency. Mm -hmm. You said it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've got a great running store, man. I mean, good night. We could we could spend a separate podcast on just just your your high school, just your college, just your pro career because you just had so many accomplishments in it. But I love the joy you have for running. I love kind of the acknowledgement you have in not only what you've achieved, but what you were going through to achieve it kind of thing. I mean, I just think you have a good recollection of it. Is is running something you still enjoy? Is it something that you're you're a fan of? Absolutely. I find so much enjoyment running with my good friends. We, we tell jokes. Yeah. I mean, constantly we're telling jokes. And then we're also building each other up. So you learn a lot about people along the way. Right. No one really knows that how do I run all that I run and do what I do because I have a family right. of four girls yeah. and a wife of 16 years. I've got to please them and make them happy because they are always number one in my life. Right. So for me- You I, and your five girls. Yeah, it's that's Chris right. Five women. That's right. Yeah. So for me, my buddies and I, which is really, it's kind of the same crew, Kyle McPhee and then also Sharon Thompson and a few others mingled in here, but we always find the time to run early. So it might be like 5, 5.30 in the morning that we're getting up and we're running before we have to take our kids to school or doing things that involve our normal day of life. Right. Good so, way to start the day though. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so awesome, when you run- I'm a little more, I'm a little later than the 5.30 part, uh, sometimes, sometimes more afternoon or evening. But, you know, this week I, I ran the, ran right when I woke up uh, yesterday and, you know, as the sun was coming up and, and felt like you said, man, like felt good about starting the day off that way. So you feel more alert, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, man. Like the, I, I just don't think I can't, I have no memory of any run I've ever done in my life that when it was over with that, I didn't feel good about that decision to run that day. Like it's, it's, it is a hundred percent positive when the run, I mean, again, most of the time it's when the run is over, but I just always feel like, yep, that was a good decision. Like that Agreed. really, really was, I did myself a solid by, by doing that. <laughs> So uh, well, let, let me ask you this, now, being as, as good as a, a runner as you have, what what would you give a reason for somebody to start running? Maybe someone who has maybe tried it and it didn't go that well or who's just never really done it at all. What's the reason you give someone, hey man, give running a try and, and here's why why I think you'll enjoy it or here's what, what a good reason why I think you should do it. Well, to me, it's a life sport, okay? So a lot of people say golf's a life sport, tennis is a life sport, but all those things cost money. Mm -hmm. Right. For me, I would say give running a try because not only is it free, but it's an individual sport where you can do it through the rest of your life. Right. The other thing I'll add to that is yes, running does hurt. Okay. But with consistency and Drew, you just said it a second ago, once you're finished with that run, you feel ultimately like 
like you're the Hulk, right? That you feel empowerment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then it, it gives you that sense of feeling where you feel like I can accomplish anything in my life. Yeah. So I would say if you can get to the point where it doesn't hurt anymore, that's when it becomes fun. Yeah. That's when it becomes the point where I look forward to it. And then it becomes, I don't know if it's a sickness is the right word, but it becomes the point where you need it. Mm -hmm. And when you need something that much, it gets to the point where you enjoy it. Right. Just like when you need your family, when you need someone in your life to, to make you happy. Right. Really, truly, you should find happiness with yourself first, but you find those things like running that gives you the ultimate highs. Yeah. And then along the way, while you're running, that's when you find out, like if you're running with friends, you get to find out about them. Mm -hmm. Or when you're running in Nashville, Drew, how many awesome trails and how many amazing places are there in Nashville or the Nashville sunrise? Oh yeah. I awesome. mean, it's unreal. It's a good reason to be a runner. You are the perfect guest, Chris, as you just segue exactly where we're headed for our next topic, which is going to be the city of Nashville. How long was it between graduating from University of Florida that you, before you moved to Nashville? Let's see. Graduated 2001 to 2004 late. So about three, three and a half years. So yeah. So 15 years here in Music City. Let's, we'll stay with the running part first. Let's describe your perfect run in Nashville. Where are you running? What time of day? You already, you already talked a little about that. What's the temperature? Give me a perfect run for you here in Nashville. So the perfect run for me would be early in the morning. And I like to do it before the sunrise because I enjoy that Nashville sunrise. I love where the sun's peeking up. There's really, at that point, there's not a lot of moisture. It's not terribly hot. And at that point, I would say running with friends. Yeah. The ideal spot for me, if you're familiar with this, it's the Concord YMCA. There's a trail system that you can probably get, give or take, about 15 to 16 miles of all the different trails that are back there. On that greenway. And it's, uh, it's all paved. Yeah. So it's almost like you're running on the road, but you don't have to deal with traffic. But it's as runner friendly as it gets out there. So runner friendly. Yeah. And there's animals out there. And I kid you not, back in the day, there was an albino deer. Oh, wow. I've never seen before in my life. But how cool is that? You get to see unique things like that. Yeah. No, dude, that's, I love I love that trail. I don't think I've ever done the 15 mile portion of it. I've got that four mile loop out there that I love. That's good. Let's talk about Nashville. Um, you lived here for 15 years. What would you say is the most Nashville thing about you? You've lived here long enough that this city's got to be in, in your blood. What, what do you feel like, you know, when you think about your life that, you know, like, you know, this is, this is a pretty Nashville part of me. I'm going to say there's three big things components. I'm going to group it all as one. Okay. I'll say food. By Nashville, far, food Nashville is amazing food. Absolutely. And I don't know about you, but I love to run. And afterwards, I like to eat right away. Oh, yeah. And Nashville has so the many reward. amazing places. The reward for running, right? Absolutely. So running with food. So food. Number two, I would say is that it's an outdoor community. Right. Everything. There's so many amazing outdoor events. To, A lot to, of hustle and shuffle going on. Outside. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But then you add in the music. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm a big music guy. Me too. So for me, if you have all three of those correlated together, there's sometimes where I'll be on a running trail and then somebody has a like a loud speaker or something. How cool is that that you get to run through the trail system and then hear speakers and hear your some good music? Oh yeah, dude, man, you you knock that one out of the park, but I'm I'm right there with you. If you were mayor of Nashville and uh, you got uh, your first your first assignment, it's going to be all right, Chris. You're you're the mayor now. What what are you going to do to improve this city? Where where are you starting? I'm focusing on the, the people. I focus on the people with regards to uh, giving back to them. And how I'd give back to them is do more community events. 
I think there's a few community events that I can think of that everybody knows, but I don't think there's enough. So my opinion would be do community events. And I, I hear about things all the time from different cities where somebody's saying that, hey, we're going to do an outdoor whatever it is. And uh, the mayor's involved and the people are involved. I just don't see a ton of that. Get the city behind more outdoor events Absolutely. together where everybody can be involved. Absolutely. God, Nashville's got to be a perfect city for that, man. That's Agreed. A, it's a platform I can get behind right now. <laughs> um, so you said, you said this, you are a music fan. What is the best concert you've ever seen as a Nashville resident? So as a Nashville resident would be... Uh, Tom Petty. Oh, yes. So I saw them at uh, Bridgestone. Yep. It was a good time. And I grew up out west. And uh, Tom Petty. California guy. He yep. was from Florida. Then went. Then when they got with the Heartbreakers, went out to California, right? That's Correct. Started. And you know, he actually was at the University of Florida, Gainesville. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, they celebrate Tom Petty for sure. Yep. Yeah. So for me, Tom Petty was uh, who I, I really love. But my favorite group and my favorite music by far is Bono, U2. Oh, yeah. So, Did you see them when they came here? Uh, no, I was gone. I, I tried. I would, if I can take it all back, I would make it to try. Yeah. So, so that was my next question. Dream concert. You can go see anybody you want this weekend. You and your wife are going to see a concert in Nashville. You can pick who you're going to see, where you're seeing them at. It would be so cool, either the Ryman or at, at Bridgestone. And I would like to have front row seats. And I'd be his biggest fan. You too. Oh, you too. Yeah. All the way. Yeah. My favorite song is With or Without You. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know how old you are, Drew, but for me, I had a thing that's called a Walkman. And for it, sure. It's a cassette when tape. When I started running, I had I had a Walkman, believe it, with a, with a, with a, I worked at State Farm at the time and State Farm had fanny packs in the little company store and I got a State Farm fanny pack for my Walkman because I was ready to get out there and get running and rocked them both with pride. Yellow Walkman with yellow headphones. Remember like the yellow? And I was gray. right up your alley. Yeah, yeah. So Joshua Tree was at your tape when you when you were getting yep. yeah yep and oh, I played over and over the same song. Imagine being on a run and and you have to like rewind the tape and you hear you know yeah. and then playing that song over and over again on my run. Right. I know it sounds boring, but no nah, man, it's the, it for me. It was that it was my mantra, you know. Yeah. So, so. true story, Chris. Uh, when I feel like I was at my fastest running, 2011, I was working at Fleet Feet, was taking some speed sessions with Mark Miller and like doing track workouts and, you know, feeling like I was making some improvement and I wanted to break 540 for my fastest mile. And I had a live version of U2 where the streets have no name. So from the start of it was like the crowd and like the intro music and it was exactly five minutes and 40 seconds was that song. So literally, true story, <laughs> I said, awesome. I am going to run this mile time trial for speed sessions and I want to be done before this song is over 534 fastest mile of my life haven't been anywhere close since and I don't I don't know when the last time I actually ran a mile as fast as I could was but you too was was part of it 100%. Okay, so you need to write Bono. Tell him about that. For sure. And then I'll be like, "Hey, my buddy Chris Duncan missed you the last time you were through here, which by the way was right over there at Vanderbilt when they played and you need to come back because okay, Chris is waiting it. for you." Please. Come on. I'll I write like, I'll write a letter to like to support you too. Whatever you're we like, need to hey, do. like, "Hey, I listened to with or without with or without you." My buddy Drew listened to Streets Have No Name. I mean, come on. If that's not a reason to return to Music City, what is? Agreed. Yeah. 
Cool, man. Well, let's uh, let's transfer into our running the six one five speed sessions. I know you've listened to a couple of uh, these podcasts, so you you know what this is. I don't have to ask you. I ask this to other people, but we already know your fastest mile of all time is three minutes and fifty nine seconds, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's so cool. Ready and go. Do you like to run on roads or trails? Roads. Are you an early bird or a night owl? Early. Favorite Nashville restaurant? Ten Roof 2, baby. Ah, yes. Kyle McPhee. What is your favorite drink? Coffee, tea, soda, water, or alcohol? Red Bull. Red Bull. Go figure. A man who's permanently got injury loves Red Bull. Dogs or cats? Uh, Dogs. Are you a talker or a listener? Um, Maybe sometimes a little bit both, but I'll go with talker. There you go. Beach or mountains? Uh, Beach. What annoys you? Uh, Not much, man. I'll be honest. You pretty you can roll with it all. Yes. That's good. Something that is not good for you, but you do anyway. <laughs> Red Bull and Donuts. Red Bull, <laughs> Red and, Bull donuts. and Donuts. They should be good for you. I don't like that they're not, but that's a good answer. What is something that is good for you that you wish you did more of? I wish I took the time to uh to make people more one on one. I I don't even know how to pronounce that, but like if you give that more one on one time. Gotcha. You'd like to give give more time, one on one time. To yes. People. Gotcha. But it's hard. There's yep. too much there's too much going on to be able to do that. Yep. That's you gotta you gotta you have to make that happen. Yes. Yep. Cookie or candy? Cookie. What's your favorite cookie? Chocolate chip. Yep. Good answer. What's your favorite sports team? Uh ironically, because I grew up in California, Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, man. Oh, so it's God. a bum deal. Yeah, dude. We we just found out about Kobe Bryant, that still doesn't seem real. In it's all crazy. Honesty, man. You know, he's, he's, I'm 41, so he's my age. Wow. So that is just, and uh, yeah, ironically, really. he has, uh, I'm just learning about this. He has four girls. He has four. He, I read that he, he has, uh, he has a real young one, I think, from just this past summer. So, like you, four girls, 41. Yeah. I mean, it hits way too home. I mean, I'm never nowhere compared to him, but I mean, just his mindset and everything that he gives back to everyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sad to see something like that happen. It really is, man. That's the only way to describe it is sad. What is your dream vacation spot, Chris? With my wife and my kids on a beach. There you go. On the beach. What actor should play you in a movie about your life? My favorite actor of all times happens to be Will Smith. How cool go. would that be to have yes, Will Smith? No doubt. The Fresh Prince, a.k.a. Chris Duncan. <laughs> what is your favorite TV show or movie of all time? A uh, movie would probably be, I like Jurassic Park. Yeah. And then uh, Jurassic Park original. I love the original. Yep, yes. Yep. Um, and then what, what was the other part? TV, TV show. I like Seinfeld. Oh God. I watched it last night. That show's so great. Uh, what's the best way to recover after a long or difficult run? Uh, chocolate milk, yes. uh, sitting in a, a nice swimming pool, but then followed up with some, uh, really good stretching. Yep. And then eating big. Oh, eating huge. There you go. Teen roof too. No doubt. Uh, what are you afraid of? For me, I'm afraid of losing my kids. Yeah. I don't want to see anything ever happen to him. No doubt. Music or no music when you run? I know you're a music fan. If you're running by yourself, are you listening to music? If I'm by myself, definitely music. Yeah. If I'm running with a group, I'd rather listen to my friends and hearing what it was about in their life to lift them up, to help them out. Sure. Yeah. When you run, are you a watch or no watch? I'm always watch. Always watch. Yep. Uh, what did you think? You kind of, we talked a little bit about it. What's the best part of living in Nashville? The people. Yeah. The people. A lot of good hey, ones Hospitality, here. my man. I mean- Everybody is like, uh, great to see you. How are you doing? Absolutely. Uh, you don't get that from other places. No, you couldn't agree more. Would you rather go on an airplane or a road trip? Uh, road trip. Something you would like to do before you die? It would be cool to go to Egypt. 
And mm. it would be awesome just to say that I ran in Egypt yeah. only because I, I've never been there, but I've, I hear it's like a hundred plus degrees there and crazy. Yeah. To and, be able to run in those elements. Yes. Breakfast, lunch, or dinner. What's your favorite? Breakfast. Me too. What makes you happy? My wife and kids. Being with family. Yes. Family. No doubt. What has running taught you? We talked a little bit about that. Uh, it's taught me to be uh, determined. It's taught me to be to give to the sport, which means you have to give to other people, to give to other things, to give to the environment. Like you literally have to give. So I've learned to be humble through giving yeah. and giving of myself and my talents through running. And it, Drew, it hurts. Uh, I'm going to go back to that. It hurts to run. Right. People say, how's your knees? I get that a lot because I'm so tall. How's your knees? Honestly, it hurts. Yeah. But I love running so much uh, that I push past it all. Yeah. And you get, the, you get the good things from it. Yes. What is the biggest misconception about you? Um, sometimes I don't come across as genuine, genuine but uh, I'm the real deal when it sure. comes to uh, being that nice guy. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but my wife says that I care more about uh, that people think I, I, I want them to like me. And I, I think I do. I, I really do want them to like, I want everybody to like everybody. Sure, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. That's uh, just something I've always paid attention to, I think, is how people respond to, you know, a lot of times it's, it's how do people to respond to my high level of BS, but I still at least notice it, right? Yes. Like how, how they respond. Uh, what's your favorite holiday? Christmas. Yes. What in life do people get wrong? And what I mean by that is sometimes people think they have a grasp on some things, but then maybe like, nah, that's actually, it's not actually how it is. I think their reality of uh, their pursuit of happiness, what they feel is if they, if I get this, I'm going to be happy. Mm -hmm. If I do that, I'm going to be happy. I think they had that all wrong because everybody's sense of happiness is different in my opinion. Yeah. So I feel like if they would just look at the simple things of life and the big picture, which is really why we're here is, you know, whether you believe it or not, but to me it's, it's God and then your family. Yeah. Other than that, just be thankful that like we get to get up in the morning. We get to live our, our days. We get to be with our family. And a lot of people think that, uh, oh, I didn't get this, this promotion or I didn't get that or I don't have a house like so-and-so. Like all that doesn't even matter. Oh, what matters the most is that you have your life mm -hmm. or you have your family and you have God, yeah. right? And here's the other thing to add to that. Let's talk about right back right now real quick about Kobe Bryant, right? Yeah. I was listening to the ESPN guys and like, man, he was going to be a, a billionaire, right? Or he was, he had all the money. He had this. I bet you if you were to ask him right now, if we were to put him back here on earth and ask him, hey, did you want all the money in the world or do you want to be able to live to be with your family? What would you choose? For sure. I guarantee you he would give it all up just to be with his wife and kids. Right. Guarantee it. That's the gift. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Great, great answer. Who inspires you? It was David Williams, who was my high school coach. Yeah. Now, looking at this, there's men in my life that I look up to, and I find little bits and pieces from each of them. Mm -hmm. So you name it. Yeah, I've got, uh, I got my business partner, Steve Nebrowski. I got a good friend, Kyle McPhee, another good friend. And you know, I hate to name names because then you're going to forget somebody, mm -hmm. but you name like guys like Kevin Thompson, you name guys like, uh, I got older friends, younger friends. You got guys like Steve Cram. You got guys like, uh, I don't know if I mentioned Dave Watson, but mm -hmm. this guy, Dave Watson, he's a true, genuine giver. Right. And he's just full of life. I mean, if you drew and his personality of just being goofy and fun, but yet he's also has one of the biggest hearts. Right. 
And I find little bits and pieces from all of them. That uh, inspire you. That inspire me. So if you ask me who are, who do I look up to, I would put all of them in a like a, a jar yep. and I would take a little bit from each of them. Awesome. So It's a good list. I know many of those names you just mentioned. I, I, I feel the same way. Do you have a favorite book or a favorite quote? So I don't know if I'm saying the quote right uh, because I always mess up songs. I always mess up things or movie quotes. There's a... There's a movie that came out by Will Smith actually a while ago. It's called In Pursuit of Happiness. Right. And he quoted in the movie many times, it's not what I have become, it's what I choose. Right. How solid of a phrase is that? It's mm-hmm. not a what I've become, it's what I choose. So he chooses to live the life and live the way that he lives. Mm-hmm. And he chooses to be happy. He chooses to be able to be smart because he wants to learn. He wants to be successful. Mm-hmm. So to me, I... I I'm not becoming anything other than just a, a normal guy. What you choose to do. And I choose to be, hopefully, a good husband and father. Yeah, man. Is there any advice you would give to your younger self? You're, you just got done with your first run in seventh grade. And you go talk to that guy for a little bit. Any, any advice you'd, you'd give him? I would tell him to focus more on his core. Focus more do on- Do more ab work? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. For the helping of running. Yeah, yeah. That would have been key. I'd also tell him to uh, focus on the big picture. Don't just focus on the now. Right. And as a younger self, I'd always focused on the now. Yeah, good. Do you think it's better to be physically tough or mentally tough? Mentally tough. For sure. And what is right now? We know what it was when you were a, when you were a competitive runner. What is your favorite race distance? Favorite would be probably a 5K or a half marathon. Those two are, are in your wheelhouse. Yes. Do you prefer to run in the hot or run in the cold? Hot. Hot. And would you rather have a hug, a high five, or a fist bump? Uh, hug all the way, man. Yeah, man. What is the purpose of life? We That's uh, something you've dove in a little bit, but what do you feel like just now that uh, now that you've had a bunch of questions, what do you think the purpose of life is? You know, there's many ways to answer that. I'll, I'll keep this simple. I think the purpose of life is to truly to do your best of what you feel is the best for you. If you can do your best and set an example for you, for yourself, whether it's a younger self or older self, I feel like at that point you've made it. And I, I say that by if you do your best in everything you do, right? Whether it's the, being the best frosted flake eater, right? Like me, whether it's the best sleeper. I mean, I if you're going to go to sleep, if you're really truly going to go to sleep, Go Give to it sleep. your best, man. Do your best. Yeah. If and for me, if you're gonna make out with your wife or make out with your spouse or whoever you're gonna make out with, hopefully, if it's your married, it's your wife. Hopefully, yeah. but yeah, hopefully, right? Be good at it. But just be good at it. <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> if you're gonna tell a joke, rock it. Yeah. Right. And if you're gonna whatever it is, you're gonna be. Try to be the best. Just try it. to be at the best of it because by doing that, you're setting an example not only for yourself, but you're setting the example for others around you. Right. You'll be contagious. I mean, Drew, as long as I've known you, you're one of the most funniest and the most nicest guys I know. And I don't know if you try to look up jokes and how you come up with the, the creative material that you come up with, but I'm always counting on when I see you that you always throw something my way to make me smile. Right. And so I feel like you're really good at that and that's your best. Yeah. So I look forward to seeing guys like you or girls like, for example, you mentioned an earlier name, uh, Christy Beth Adams. Right. She's a lot of fun. Absolutely. Uh, but I also know there's a lot of other people out there that if you find what they're really good at and what they're really all about, that's when you find out that real person. Sure. So. Yeah, man. Well, I can say this, Chris. I mean, we, we talked a little bit about it when you, when you showed up here, but 
I feel like I've known you now for a while, probably a good, you know, 10 years since that I've just, you know, when I've seen you know who you are and man, you have got a great demeanor about yourself. And like you said, you said you feel like a misconception is maybe people don't think that that's your genuine self all the time. I, I would say it is. We, we've seen each other enough, whether it's in the middle of a run, before a run, afterwards, or, or just out in public, that if there was some chinks in the armor, I would have seen it, you know, once or twice. But you, you have a great way about you and how how you you react to seeing other people and how you you know just it seems that you just have a desire to be a kind friendly person and from someone who has been a people person my entire life like, I, like even when I was younger I, I recognize just me responding to being around people like how it would just instantly elevate my mood to be in a group or see someone that I know you're you're really good at that like I just I just always I appreciate that enjoy seeing you and and you know for the most part it's talking trash when we see each other but you're <laughs> you're you're a super friendly guy man and I was I was really excited to interview and talk to you and I, I knew you were a good runner man but truth be told like just you giving me some of those answers I mean you have had a crazy successful running career and I love that like when it was kind of all said and done that you were real quick to just kind of recognize man like this has been a great career and I'm I'm ready to kind of accept it for what it is and I love that you still love running because I, I truth be told I know some people who were really good runners when they were younger and now are not really able to run like they used to and, and they don't enjoy it because they're not like I guess as you know competitive or they're not as good like I said as they used to be so they don't enjoy it I love that you still love running for what it is and still like actively make it a part of your life Thank you, Drew. Uh, same goes to you. I mean, everything that you just mentioned, I can say the same and not to repeat or beat a dead horse, but I just really appreciate the uh, compliments. I, I truly feel the same way about you. Wow. Very, thank you very kindly. We love flattery here on Running the 615, so <laughs> always encouraged. Yeah, man. Th thanks for being here. I'll, I'll be excited to, to put this out there and let some other people listen to it. And I'm glad you're here in Nashville so that uh, I get to see you on a regular basis. And uh, if anybody ever needs any help with remodeling their house, Chris, you, 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 are, you are a co-owner of who? Superior Custom Homes Remodeling. There you go. And how many homes have you remodeled in your career? So uh, it's, this is uh, the 15th year for me. And being 15 years, I would say that give or take, there's about 600 or so remodels right. and over 100 custom homes that we have built here in Middle Tennessee. Man, helped a lot of people start their life or, or get into a new place to keep their life going. That's a good feeling, I bet. Yes, it's really good. I love helping people, and that goes back to my genuine self. I yeah. really do love helping them. Uh, of course, it, it puts food on the table. I'm not going to say that it doesn't, but right. my biggest purpose of reason why I like doing it is the people interaction. Sure. I actually truly like l learning and meeting new people mm -hmm. and the vendors and trades that we work with and our staff. I feel like our staff, the, who we work with, we're family. Right. I have been so sad to see some of the people leave, but I'm also so to the point where I see them now, I'm like, that's my family. I yeah. can still go up to them and hug them and love them. And I'm never going to let go of those feelings that I've had. You know what kind of buns me out though, Drew? I'll be honest with you. We talk about all these uh, good, amazing things, but you know, I was hoping to hear just some jokes from the man himself 
Drew the man just Jones. talks some major trash. I've actually had some other people tell me that they're like, "Yeah, man." They're like, "When I saw you were having a podcast, I was super excited about it, and like, I just, I just don't feel like you, you talk enough shit like you, like you normally do <laughs> do in life." And I'm like, "Well, it's probably coming for sure. I'll get there." I, I've, I've always told people that you know, at some point in time, I'm gonna run out of guests here real soon. Yes. I'm just gonna start recording myself. I'm just gonna, you know, come in here and hit record. It's like, hey, thought about a couple of things. I need to get this off my chest and. Here we go. I love so, it. So they're, they're coming eventually. But, man, thanks for being here, Chris. Really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I know I'll be seeing you soon. Thanks a lot, Drew. Appreciate you. Appreciate you.